Welcome to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with your host, Austin Davidson and John Keir, talking Steelers all the time. Now, here's Austin and John. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Stronger Than Steel podcast. Just a solo episode today on the podcast, season six, episode 39, part two. Uh, my name is John Keir. Uh, my buddy Austin Davidson has already recorded his part one of episode 39 talking about the Steelers 41 to 37 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday Night Football, a game that had a lot of ups and downs throughout the course of the game, uh, a game that featured a season high in points for the Steelers, their first time crossing the 30 point plateau in I believe 15 or 16 games, so dating back to the midway point of last season. This game went uh, was a topsy-turvy one and one that the Steelers, even though they were down at one point by 17 points and in, in going into the fourth quarter, it was still a game that was very winnable as the Steelers had a furious comeback in the fourth quarter, scoring 27 points, uh, but ultimately blew a late lead in the game that resulted in the fourth loss of the season, dropping the Steelers' record to 5-4-1. And, and today, uh, I was going to go through some of uh, some of the reasons why the Steelers lost this game. And when you break it down, I think the easiest thing to point to is just the fact that the Steelers were missing so much star power and starters on defense. At, at the end of the day, they just didn't have the guys to be able to combat a talented Chargers offense that even though... It was not performing up to its probably high standards at the beginning of the year. There's still just too much talent on this line or on this front line for the Chargers offense to not put up a bunch of points. And when they're facing a defense that's depleted as it was, it was going to be a tough assignment for the Steelers defense. That being said, the game was not really ever out of reach and the defense was able to make some plays. But at the end of the day, just not enough from a defensive unit featuring guys uh, that you know, most Steelers fans had never heard of before, like Delonte Scott having to play significant snaps. So, you know, when that's the case, you're obviously going to be, you're not going to be in a great position to succeed defensively. And when you look at the fact that the Chargers scored on, I believe their yes, their first five possessions of the game, that really tells you all you need to know about the way things went. I mean, you look at the starters missing: no Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end due to COVID, no Joe Hayden. No TJ Watt. And on top of the fact that they've already been missing Stefan Tuitt and Tyson Alualu for the majority and all of this season in Stefan Tuitt's case, this defense just really had a tough time slowing down Justin Herbert and the Chargers offense. But with that being said, this game was still winnable, and some guys certainly needed to make more plays in this game and just were not able to. And uh, I'll get into some of those players in a little bit here, but at the end of the day, 41 points against by the Steelers' defense, just not good enough. An early game plan to try to blitz and be aggressive against the Chargers' front, but they were ready for it. And really, after those first five drives, the Steelers started to play more conservative with limited success, obviously. We'll get into some of those plays later, but uh, I guess I'll kind of go through the game in a second here, but uh, the number two reason the Steelers were unable to win, I would have to go with uh, just untimely mistakes, whether that be 
the broken play, the busted coverage at the end of the game, missed tackles by players on long uh, touchdowns, or just the inability for this offense to convert exactly when it needed to, and I'm talking mostly early in the game. So why don't I start kind of by going through the way this game started. And the Steelers got the ball first and drove down the field. A uh, big part of the a big part of the reason the Steelers were unable to win is because they were I believe they were four of seven in the red zone, which on itself is not too bad, but the first two drives of the game for the Steelers could have resulted in fourteen points, but instead resulted in three. The Steelers had a first a second and five at the Chargers eighteen and were unable to move any closer. Three points isn't the end of the world, but you'd love to have seven on the road there. The Chargers go down the field and score an opening drive touchdown themselves. And then one of the three big plays of the game, Ben Roethlisberger hits Chase Claypool on a 37-yard pass to the 5-yard line. And this is one of those plays where Ben does complete the pass. Chase Claypool did an excellent job creating separation, but the pass was thrown with too much air under it, a bit underthrown and thus Claypool was unable to get into the end zone. Whereas if the ball had been thrown on the money or with a little more zip, it would have been a touchdown. And obviously it came back to bite the Steelers because they were unable to score from inside the five. And Ben deserves a blame for that. But I also think the offense itself deserves a lot of blame for not being able to capitalize inside the five as well. A little end around by Chase Claypool for three yards. Harris up the middle for no gain. And then an incomplete pass, and then the Steelers patented shovel play on fourth and goal from the two that we've seen the Steelers run a bunch of times. And, you know, this is a team that has run this play X amount of times, a bunch of different times in this situation since the week one game of the 2017 season. Uh, This is a play that has worked, but it's time to start doing things differently. It's a little bit too easy to figure out when exactly this is happening. So two drives, moving the ball down the field, just three points to show for it. That is just killer. And the Chargers go down and score again. The Steelers were able to turn that into turn their next drive into six points. Or sorry, seven points. But it really just felt like from that point on the Steelers were facing an uphill battle in this one, which really is the truth. I mean the Steelers, the thing about the first half is it just, it went so quickly because outside of the Steelers turning the ball over at the goal line on that fourth down on their second drive of the game, every other drive resulted in points. I mean, technically the Steelers had a drive at the end of the first half, but it was just a kick return. There was no offensive plays running that. Every single other drive, I believe, had a minimum of seven plays, if I'm not mistaken. So every, actually here I can tell you, Right here. Okay. So, (laughs) the Chargers' uh, first half drives were 12 plays, 12 plays, and 8 plays. The Steelers were 13, 12, and 7. I mean, when you have long drives like that, you're going to see a quicker half, and that's exactly what happened. But the Steelers were behind the 8 ball, and we're down 17 to 10 going into halftime. And the real problem with that is that even though the Steelers had scored a touchdown to make it 14-10 to and had done a good job moving the ball in hurry up, the Chargers had so much time 
and with the way they had moved the ball effortlessly in the first half, you just felt like the Chargers were going to be able to score at least once here, and then getting the ball back to start the third quarter, they were going to be able to score again. I think I texted Austin as soon as the Chargers got the ball to midfield on like their third play of the drive. I told him, I said, this feels like the Steelers are going to get the ball. The offense is going to get the ball again down 24-10. to 10. And that's exactly what happened. A 30-yard field goal from Dustin Hopkins. His time expired in the first half. And then a brief uh, seven-play drive touchdown to Austin Eckler again to open the third quarter. And then when the offense needed to make a drive to start the second half, it was the first punt of the game. And uh, from that point on, the Steelers, it looked like they weren't going to be able to make enough plays to come back and win this one. It felt like they were going to be uh, in a difficult spot. But the defense forces another field goal, so it's 27-10. to 10, And as you're getting into the fourth quarter, the offense starts to move the ball. But it really feels like at that point, it's not going to be enough. They answer with a field goal, so now it's 27-13. to 13, And then the Steelers finally get... A big break in this one. Uh, the Chargers go three and out for the first time in this game. A very bizarre sequence where the Chargers punt. There's a 12-yard return, but there's a penalty on a gunner for going out of bounds. And there's also a penalty on Justin Lane for an illegal block above the waist. So they offset, and it results in a second chance at the punt. And this time, Miles Killebrew comes up with another punt block, and the ball rolls out at the two, the three-yard line. Sorry. And the Steelers have new life, down 27-13. to 13. But that's not, uh, it should have been as simple as the Steelers punching it in, and they did eventually do that. But what happened first was the Steelers had a very ugly sequence at the goal line, an incomplete pass on first down, another one of those Chase Claypool sweeps, which we had seen earlier, which the way the Steelers line up, it's like a basic goal line formation with two, uh, no receiver split out wide. Harris is alone in the backfield. And you've got three tight ends and Chase Claypool, but they're all lined up in tight end positions. Claypool is attached to the right side and comes sweeping across to the left, just as he did earlier in the game. But this time, the Chargers were not fooled. He lost two yards and then two straight incompletions, but the Steelers got bailed out with a defensive pass interference and then decide to finally run a basic play up the middle to Harris, which scores, makes it a 27-20 game. And then, right when you th- feel like the tide is turning, Austin Eckler and Justin Herbert and the Chargers go down the field and score again. So now it's 34-20. to And you think, okay, it's probably not going to happen, but the offense puts together another nice drive. Eric Ebron scores his first touchdown, receiving touchdown of the season. And he ends up leaving the game injured. It could be his final game as a Pittsburgh Steeler, so a good way to go out with a touchdown. We'll see, of course, how that goes. And then the following drive, you need the defense to just make another play, and they do, thanks to Cam Hayward with a tipped pass. Cameron Sutton makes a nice play uh, running to get under that ball, which was popped up like a fly ball, gets under it, and gets slammed when he's catching the ball, mind you. But the Steelers take over at the 11-yard line again. And they convert uh, three plays into the drive. And just like that, they're back in the game again. So this time the score the score at this point, I believe, is 
Yes, 34-34, because they had just scored with Ebron, and then Fryermuth ties it. And it's like, oh my goodness, the tide is turning here. It really feels like things are changing for the Steelers. The Chargers at this point immediately go three and out, but it's fourth and one from their own 34. Brandon Staley goes with the aggressive move to go for it, and Eckler gets stuffed by Joe Schobert, Taco Charlton, Chris Wormley, and a, a host of Steelers. And the Steelers take over at the 34. And circle this drive because the Steelers had the ball with 3.43 to go from the 34-yard line. This drive lasted all of 19 seconds. Two incompletions and a seven-yard pass set up a go-ahead field goal, 45 yards, but again, the Chargers take over, and you just felt like they need one more stop. But ultimately, it was for not A 5, 17, and 53-yard pass from Justin Herbert led to the Chargers taking the lead again, 41-17, to and you felt like maybe the offense could hold serve here, but the Chargers started doing something interesting where they'd put Joey Bosa inside to cause inside pressure. No uh, J.C. Hassenauer, who left early in this game, meaning Matt, or I wanted to say Matt Filer, but uh, Joe Haig takes over at left guard, and he and Dan Moore have a bunch of trouble on the first two plays of the drive, and the Steelers lose. Uh, the Steelers lose 17 yards, uh, or sorry, 19 yards on their first two plays in the drive. And from that point on, it's third and fourth and 29. A delay of game makes it a fourth and 32, and there was just no hope at that point. So, you know, it's kind of incredible. The Steelers were able to make this one a game after scoring just 10 points in the first three quarters. But they did do a good job of moving moving the ball. But again, it just it keeps coming back to the defense. They made a few plays in the fourth quarter. They got the ball back to the offense. The special teams had forced a turnover too, but it just wasn't enough. Uh, the Chargers scoring on their first five possessions really did this team in. And uh, you, you'd like to say it's a moral victory for the Steelers' offense to be able to put up 37 points in this one, and it felt like they easily could have put up more. I mean, they could have if Ben hits Claypool and stride or if the Steelers complete that drive. You're talking about seven more points. You're talking about 45 to 41, but that's it's just not how it works. And again, at this point in the season, the Steelers fall. They're 5 4 and 1, third place in the AFC North. And this was a game the Steelers weren't expecting to win, I would imagine. Most people didn't think they would. And when, you, when it comes back to that Lions game, that's a game you had to have because 6-4 and four is a whole lot different than 5-4-1. and one. You don't feel that extra added pressure to win a game that you're maybe not supposed to, and that's where losing this game hurts all that much more. Uh, not just because they weren't favored, but because they had this ferocious comeback and took the lead and were unable to hang on. So some good and some bad, but mostly bad from this game. And you just hope that going back and looking at this game that the Steelers are able to learn from it and obviously get some reinforcements back on the defensive side, especially with two important games against the Bengals and Ravens coming up. Right, wanted to focus in a little more on the specific play of some guys in this one, starting with the quarterback Ben Roethlisberger, who I thought played his best game of the season. I don't know if this is something that we can expect him playing this well going forward. The three-touchdown performance, getting sacked three times, 273 yards. Not, I wouldn't call it disappointing at all. I thought he played really well, and I thought his connection with Deontay Johnson was very solid. Johnson with another great game, seven receptions, 101 yards. 
Obviously, Eric Ebron contributed in this one, but he'll be out for the foreseeable future. And another good performance from uh, Chase Claypool in this one. Uh, five catches, 93 yards. Really should have had a touchdown, but I thought he played well in this one too. The real disappointment for the offense lies in the running game. The Chargers had the worst-ranked rush defense in the NFL, and even though the Steelers did have a successful run rate over 50% in this one, this is one of the rare instances where I feel like successful run rate does not tell the story of the Steelers' running running game in this one. And just 12 for 39 yards for Najee Harris. The running backs in total, Balaj and Snell when you add that in, just a total of 15 carries for... 47 yards so not not what you're looking for you know the the chargers just i know that part of it is game flow and part of it was you know having to play late and trying to get back into the game but you needed more from this running game and i don't know that it ultimately makes a difference if you get you know 150 rushing yards but this is a game where it really would have helped to have been able to run the ball against this defense and to not do it to the degree that many other teams in the league have is really disappointing in my opinion. But at the end of the day, it is hard to be overly critical of this offense. It felt like they gave way at the end only when they were injured and they had already made that big comeback and it was just one one defensive score allowed too many. But 37 points, a good day for the offense. Their best offensive output in almost a year, so tough to be disappointed about that but obviously not a perfect game so I guess you can say there's still work to be done on the other side again it's hard to be too overly critical just because of the number of players missing from this one on the defensive side but the fact of the matter remains you still need to do better and I will give I'm not going to give Mike Tomlin and Keith Butler a huge pass here but uh, I will I will acknowledge that the players they were working with, guys like Akella Witherspoon, Henry Mondeau, Delonte Scott, Daniel Archibong, even Miles Killebrew played on played defensive snaps in this one. Ch- you know, Taco Charlton played just under 50 snaps. You know, is that really what you want? Chris Wormley played almost 60. Trey Norwood played, I believe, almost all of them. I think he played over 75 in this one. So, for all that to be the case. I'm not saying you expect 40 points against, but you did not expect an easy day at the office. And the Steelers had a game plan where they were aggressive early trying to pressure Herbert, and then it didn't work. So they decided to back off, and I guess it worked a little better in the second half, but they were just playing from a disadvantage the whole way through. So I will give them credit for making adjustments. And they, Mike Tomlin admitted that maybe... They tried to keep things too similar to their normal defense with all these extra pieces in, and I suppose that's probably a mistake. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to issues with personnel. And there's one player who's getting a bunch of crap, and uh, he does deserve a lot of criticism, but I also want to point out that it's not all him. The Steelers' defensive issues are certainly not just related to this one player, but he is a part of the problem, you know. I would like to point out that the Steelers trading away Melvin Ingram was a huge loss, and I didn't think it was 100% necessary. I understand the nature of why he was traded away and why maybe he would have been upset. But again, I just keep coming back to the Steelers should have been more clear about what his role was because 
it would have been really nice to have a player like Melvin Ingram in this game where your depth gets tested. And you never know quite what's going to happen once the games start. And not that Taco Charlton is a bad player, but it would have been nice to have an extra player in a game where you're missing so many pieces to your defensive side of the ball. So, But as we know, Trey Norwood struggled in this one. The defensive line didn't get much of a push. Devin Bush really struggled. And as a matter of fact, he finished with the lowest grade of his career in the 20s in his uh, PFF score. Just a, a rough game from the defense and a guy that you drafted at number 10 overall, traded up for to make plays in the passing game and in the running game. Unable to cover tough guys like uh, Austin Eckler, but again, he was drafted to do that. Un unable to make plays downhill. Just a difficult game for the Steelers' defense and, frankly, a low point for them. But there are reinforcements on the way, and they did make plays in the fourth quarter when they had to until the very end. So if you want to call it a moral victory, I guess you can, but tough game for the defense all the way around. And going forward, you're going to need much better from them. This has to be the low watermark going forward, uh, point blank. All right. Elsewhere, just wanted to cover a couple things here really quickly. Uh, wanted to make note that the uh, the Pro Bowl voting is underway, and TJ Watt, Presley Harvin, and Ray Ray McLeod are currently leading their respective positions in terms of voting for the Pro Bowl on the AFC side of things, which is interesting to make note of, so we'll keep track of what's going on there. Elsewhere, the Pro Football Hall of Fame has announced its semifinalists for the class of 2022, and among them include former Steelers wide receiver Heinz Ward, who has been eligible for the past six seasons and is looking to become a finalist for the first time in his post-career days. The Miami Dolphins have added a somewhat crowded running back room, another running back, uh, Philip Lindsay, off of waivers from the Houston Texans. The former undrafted free agent had a 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown season in his rookie year of 2018, but his raw stats and efficiency numbers have dropped in every year since then and is on pace for career lows in touches, yards, yards per carry, and first downs converted. And finally, a four-and-a-half-year lawsuit from the city of St. Louis against the Los Angeles Rams owner Stan Kroenke has been settled for $790 million dollars. The suit was filed in the city in its interest over the Rams' relocation to Los Angeles back in 2016. And finally, going to Thanksgiving really quickly before I wrap things up today. Uh, it is likely going to be Thanksgiving when uh, this episode is posted. As a matter of fact, it's early Thanksgiving morning. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. So wanted to make note of that and say happy Thanksgiving. Hope everyone is safe and enjoying their families and friends today. Wanted to make note of the games. There's three today, as there typically are. The Bears and Lions kick things off at 12.30. The Bears are three-point favorites on the road. I'm going to take Detroit plus three here. I like the Lions to get their first win of the season on Thanksgiving. It would be so right for them if they could. I'm going to take in the second game between the Raiders and the Cowboys. The Cowboys being seven-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going to take Dallas to cover in this one. I'd like the Cowboys to bounce back in this one. And finally, between the Bills and Saints and the nightcap, Saints are six-and-a-half-point underdogs. I like the Bills in this one. 
Uh, I do think that uh, even though both teams seem, I, I mean, the even though the Saints are kind of headed in the wrong direction here, I think it'll be a competitive game, but I do think the Bills will get back on track here and will win by at least a touchdown in this one. That'll conclude today's episode uh, 39 of Season 6, Part 2. Uh, we'll be back probably doing separate separate preview episodes for the second Bengals game this year uh, due to uh, just scheduling issues. But we should be back uh, in a normal capacity Sunday night for our recap of uh, Sunday's game. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. As always, you can find us on anchor.fm slash Stronger Than Steel and on YouTube under the name Stronger Than Steel Podcast. Until next time, thank you as always for listening and have a happy Thanksgiving. You have been listening to Stronger Than Steel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today and don't forget to check out our website listed in the description below.